0: When this little section, this little subsection of Jesus' teaching, Jesus tells us how not to pray, uh, and then he tells us how we ought to pray. And there's probably not a one of us that would say prayer's easy, that would say prayer, prayer comes naturally and always has. There's probably not a one of us that would say we, 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 we're, we're satisfied with where our prayer life is. It doesn't need to be any better. You see, it's a great privilege to talk to God, but it doesn't come naturally. It's something we learn. And for us Christians, for believers in Jesus, for Christ followers, prayer looks different than than the prayers of other peoples who worship other gods because for us, prayer is about communion with our Father. What is prayer about? Prayer is about communion with our Our father, our father who is in heaven, Clement of Alexandria, who was an early church father in the second century, said this. He said, prayer is keeping company with God. Prayer is keeping company with God. Prayer is about communion with God and prayer is keeping company with God. Through Jesus, we're invited into relationship with the almighty God, the one and only. And so prayer becomes more than simply an act of reverence toward a deity. It's certainly it is that. It must be that. But it's more than that. It becomes about a reconciled relationship between creature and creator. The kind of reconciliation and Forgiveness that welcomes sinners into the presence of the Most High God. The Bible says a lot about this. The book of Hebrews says a lot about this. Really, the book of Hebrews being a commentary on the whole Old Testament sacrificial system and the temple system and priestly system. And we learn there quite clearly that because of what Jesus has done, we can approach God confidently through faith in Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, the innermost part of the temple, where God's presence dwells, because we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance That faith brings. In other words, when it comes to prayer, to coming before God, our confidence that we'll be received by God is not in, in the mood of God, or or in our morality, but is squarely upon Christ alone. Because of who He is and what He has accomplished, because of what He's done, our faith is in Him, and through faith in Christ, we may commune with God. Prayer is about communion with our Father, but that doesn't mean we approach Him flippantly. Now right here, Jesus calls His followers to a humble prayer posture. He calls us to a humble prayer posture. I think He's saying that prayer isn't so much about the words we use as it is about the posture of our hearts, recognizing who God is recognizing who it is that we're approaching, who it is that we're speaking to. And when we realize to whom it is we're speaking, it ought to lead us to have a humble prayer posture, one devoid of hypocrisy. Devoid of hypocrisy. See, we're in a subsection here of Jesus' teaching where Jesus warns quite directly about the dangers of hypocrisy of pretending to be something we're not, of pretending to be pious in order to be recognized by others. And so as we saw last week, once again, Jesus warns against the kind of self-aggrandizing, hypocritical religion of the religious leaders of the Pharisees in his day, whose public piety was all about being noticed by others. Jesus says those who pray for show... Don't impress the God of heaven. Because for them, it's not about a relationship with him, but about recognition by fellow men. So Jesus calls us to a humble prayer posture devoid of hypocrisy and marked by thoughtful dependence upon God. Marked by thoughtful dependence on God, a posture of humility. Where our hearts are open before Him. I was saying about that earlier. Hearts unfold like flowers before you. God, may that be true of us. May our hearts be open before God. That sort of posture of humility. But also He calls us to use our minds. To reflect on who He is. Thoughtful dependence on Him. Jesus says, don't pray for show. And don't pray with the kind of mindless, mechanical ritual or repetitious formula that characterizes the prayers of pagans. That's what he's saying here. Be honest, I wasn't quite re- really familiar with just what Jesus is saying here when he's talking about not babbling. But as I did some digging here, uh, it's it's apparent that Jews emphasized. Prescribed prayers, like prayers for certain times, praying three times a day, for example, and praying on particular occasions because of things that have happened, particular times and instances in which they're required to pray. But the Gentiles often practiced magical or mystical incantations, emphasizing the right repetition or formula in order to persuade the God, their God, to hear them. Jesus says, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So again, the emphasis is on the relationship. It's not about an elevated language, but about speaking to the Heavenly Father in everyday language. It's not about many words, but about a humble posture that conveys thoughtful dependence upon God. It's not about the particular words or length of the prayer, but about authentic, intimate communication with God. The God who sees us. The God who knows what you need before you even ask him. And so Jesus' words here are an invitation to speak to your Father. Speak to your Father. Speak to the one who, yes, sustains all things by his presence and his word, and yet the one who invites you and I to know him as our Father. Speak to God, the only God. And if we know him as such, as the all-seeing, all-knowing God who invites us into a relationship with him, why in the world would we not want to commune with him? And not to not to impress others or to coerce him, but because we've experienced his love for us. And prayer is about communion with our our Father. One. Writer says this, he says, God calls us first and foremost to embrace our relationship with him as father. And as such, prayer begins with longing for God's presence before his provision. So you don't have to be alone to pray. You don't have to be in a particular place to pray. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying prayer is about being with God. It's about talking to your father. It's about communion with the God who invites us to know him. Have you accepted his invitation? Friend, do you know him? So we we get to talk to God. We get to talk to the almighty maker of heaven and earth. Speaking to him as our father. But when we talk to him, notice that Jesus says here, when you pray, he assumes you're going to, when you pray, when we talk to him, what should we say? Like When we pray, what what do we say to God? Jesus gives us a model prayer here, one we've heard, one we've said, one many of us know. The Lord's Prayer. No doubt we could spend weeks unpacking this particular prayer, but today I want us to to glean two key truths, two introductory truths about what Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer that we can, I think, begin to immediately apply to our own prayers. It's important for us to note on the front end, perhaps because of familiarity with this prayer, that the point isn't rote memorization and recitation. And it's not not a script, but a model. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Or in another translation, the ESV, it says, pray then like this. It doesn't say pray this, it says pray like this. So Jesus is saying that this is the posture from which we should pray and the kind of things for which we should pray. This then is how you should pray. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father in heaven. A reminder that the God that we speak to invites us to know him as our Father, invites us to be into in, in relationship with him, adopted as his children. And yet he's the one in heaven. He's the one that has all power and authority. He is the God who reigns over all. He is the eternal one. Hallowed be your name. May your name be regarded as holy. We can't make God any more holy than he already is. But this is a prayer that, that he would be recognized for who he is. That he would be known for his greatness and his glory. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is to say, God, may your plans come to fruition. May your will and your purposes, may they come to pass. May may you be recognized as king, not just in heaven, but, but here and now on earth. May your way... Have its way. I think the point is this. Jesus commands us to pray for God's preeminent glory to be name, to be known. Jesus commands us to pray for God's preeminent glory to, to be known. This is the first truth I want us to see from the Lord's Prayer. That God's surpassing greatness and his superiority over everyone and everything would be realized. So we're to pray that God would be honored. We're to pray that God would be known, that God's incomparable holiness and everlasting dominion would be recognized and that it would be experienced in our own hearts and all over the world. In other words, when we pray, we're asking God to shape our thinking and our wanting so that they align with His. John Bunyan famous author of Pilgrim's Progress and English Puritan preacher and theologian of the 17th century said this about prayer. He says, Prayer opens the heart to God and it is the means by which the soul, though empty, is filled with God. Prayer opens up our heart and our soul to God. A present day, Theologian and scholar David Garland says this. He says, prayer is not a spiritual crowbar or jackhammer that pries open God's willingness to act, but a means by which Christians open themselves up to God, to grasp God's will and be grasped by it. You see, we're we're to pray to the sovereign God of all peoples, places, and times, reveling In the reality that this King of all kings is our Father. And because of who He is, because of His unmatched majesty, right? There's no one like Him. And His undeserved mercy, His kindness toward us, we pray that His will would become the desire of our our hearts and that His purposes in the world would come to pass. It's an eschatological prayer for the righteous judge to return and for the Savior of sinners to usher in his eternal kingdom. That's what it means to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. E. Stanley Jones, who was a 20th century uh, theologian and, and missionary, uh, gives us a helpful uh, analogy here on prayer he says if i throw out a boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore and begin to pull do i pull the shore to me or do i pull myself to the shore prayer is not pulling god to my will but the aligning of my will to the will of god so what what does what this focus on god's preeminent glory his surpassing greatness in our prayers what What does it mean practically for us? And here's, I think, a takeaway for us that we can immediately apply. Let God be the central subject of your prayers. Let God be the central subject of your prayers. Speak to your Father, your Heavenly Father, who loves you and cares for you and welcomes you into his presence through Jesus, but do so with a holy reverence and humility, acknowledging truths about the mighty one to whom you speak. Speak to God, and as you speak to God, talk about God. Tell him who he is. Tell him what he's done. Rehearse the gospel to him, praising him for his position and inviting him to carry out His good plans. Just a few days ago, before bed, my my son initiated a conversation about about prayer. You know, as parents, we we want our kids to pray. We try to teach them to pray, but often we we don't know how much they pray. We hope they're sort of grabbing a hold of it and praying. And so he said something to me that encouraged me in the moment. He said, said, Daddy, sometimes I I pray um, that God would help people. He said, does that help? And I responded to him. I said, yes, son, it does. It helps. It helps because God hears everything. Of course, as you would expect a child to ask, he said, how does he do that? I said, son, I, I don't know. I'm not sure how he does, but I know he does. Perhaps it's because he made everything. And his response, again, simple, childlike fashion, yeah, that's probably true. And it is. May we believe that to be true about the one to whom we speak. May we be so confident in him that we run into his presence and that we proclaim his greatness. Church, in our prayers, let's commune with our Father with a humble posture Praising Him for His supremacy and believing that our Heavenly Father wants to hear from us. That He wants to hear our needs. You see, not only does Jesus command us to pray for God's preeminent glory to be known, but second truth, Jesus invites us to petition the Father to meet all of our needs. He invites us to petition the Father to meet all of our needs. Not only does God know and God see, but God hears and God provides. He provides. In our prayers, we're to acknowledge that our Father takes care of us. And we're to ask Him to keep on taking care of us. The central subject is God, but He's a God who cares for us. Give us today our daily bread. God, take care of all my needs today take care of us today forgive us our, our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors god forgive me for my sins and may the way that i interact with others reflect that i that i know the forgiveness of god may my forgiving others demonstrate that i i know the forgiveness of god i think that's what verses 14 and 15 are about lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, protect me from future sin. Provide for my needs. Forgive me for my sins. Protect me from future sin. Jesus invites us to petition the Father to meet all of our needs. Notice the first person plural pronouns our Lord uses. says, give us. Forgive us. And lead us. See, Jesus is teaching that we're part of a group. A collective people called to know and to serve and to submit and commune with our Father. And so to pray like Jesus prayed is to remember the needs of others, not just our own. It's to remember the needs of others and to take them to our good Father. It is to pray specifically. As we think about praying specifically, listen to, listen to these words from J.C. Ryle. 19th century English minister, he said, it should not be enough to confess we are sinners. We should name the sins of which our conscience tells us we are most guilty. It should not be enough to to ask for holiness. We should name the graces in which we feel the most deficient. It should not be enough to tell the Lord we are in trouble. We should describe our trouble and all its peculiarities. What should we think of the patient who told his doctor he was ill but never went into any particulars? What should we think of the wife who told her husband she was unhappy but did not specify the cause? What should we think of the child who told his father he was in trouble, but nothing more? It says, Christ is the bridegroom of the soul, the true phys- physician of the heart, the real father of all his people. Let us show that we feel this by being unreserved in our communications with him. Friends, Jesus invites us to petition the Father to meet all of our needs. So believing our compassionate Father welcomes, hears, and responds to the cries of his people. Let's be a people who offer particular requests for particular people. Particular requests for real life particular people. Praying for one another with specificity praying for our neighbors with intentionality, praying for the nations with fervency, communing with our Father in heaven who welcomes all who come to him through Jesus. Friends, let's run to the Father today. And I want us to pray with such specificity even as we transition in our gathering this morning to a time of response. I want us to pray specifically for some of our very own uh, who are currently uh, in a bit of a crisis. That's Bill and Lucy Rice, members of our faith family, who many of you know well, sing in the choir. Uh, Bill and Lucy's house burned yesterday evening, and we want to pray for them. Uh, praise God, they are okay. They are unharmed. They are safe. The Lord has provided and will provide but their lives have been upended and we want to surround them with love and prayer and no doubt there'll be opportunities in the near future i'm sure to love and care for them but right now what they need is our prayers and so as we transition this morning could we pray with such specificity to the god who hears let's pray to our father in heaven would you pray with me oh father we bow before you now Acknowledging that you are, as Jesus instructed us and reminded us and taught us, that you are our Father in heaven, that you rule and reign on high, that there is no one like you, that you hold all power in your hands, and yet you care deeply for us, and you invite us to know you through Jesus, your Son, who is our Savior, welcoming us into your presence, adopting us into your family. And God, you are a God who has provided again and again and again each of our lives, and Bill and Lucy's included, our testimony of your faithfulness. Oh, God, of your provision. Oh, God, of your, your meeting needs, you have taken care of our brother and sister in the past, and we trust that you will continue caring for them in the present and on into the future. And so, Lord, we pray that in this time of uncertainty, in this time of grief and pain and loss and shock, Oh God, provide for them. Oh God, be near to them. Oh God, be an ever-present help in times of comfort. May your presence be known and felt and realized. God, may you give a sense of peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, may you give them peace in the midst of a storm. God, may you use them as salt and light. May you use them as gospel witnesses. And God, may you use your church, may you use us in rallying around them and caring for them and loving upon them and seeing lives rebuilt as a testimony of your grace. So God, work in their lives in these ways. Work in our lives for the glory of your name. Hear our praise now, hear our response now. Stir us now to worship you in the way that you are due. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.